Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Smriti Kurumbanandan, and she is a senior healthcare consultant at Tata Consultancy Services, where she focuses on strategic planning. She's been in healthcare, focused on strategic planning for almost 10 years. Um, she is a healthcare strategist. She's got a background in robotics and public health. She's also a food equity advocate. She's a certified raw vegan chef and nutritionist, so this is important to her, but more recently, in the past few years, she's picked up a couple of, uh, I'm just going to call them side hustles. So she's a contributor to Healthcare News. She created her own podcast called Health Forward, and she recently joined the board of the World Food Bank. And Sridi, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Laurie, thank you so much for having me here. It's wonderful to speak to you again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, well, you know, let's just get started here. So you've been in healthcare for almost a decade and, um, you know, you've got a couple of degrees under your belt as well as a lot of interesting experience. But why don't we start with what do you do right now? Professionally, what is your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so currently I'm working for a global organization, which you just mentioned, Tata Consultancy Services which contains 500,000 employees and our services cut through all sectors of business. But I sit in the healthcare division driving primarily strategy for payers, providers, and I also do a lot of marketing and brand development for healthcare for TCS as an organization. Um, but I'm also on the board for World Food Bank where I give strategic advice on reducing food insecurity and scaling circle of food impact as a model. But apart from that, I truly enjoyed writing quite a bit on health tech, food insecurity, and all topics of wellness as well. So that's really, you know, a couple of hats I'm wearing at this point. Well, what, what's so interesting, I find, um, you know, Sridi, is that, you know, many people define themselves kind of by who they're employed um, by, you know, um, where they work, what they do at their work. But you have that is one part of what it seems to be many different things that you are focused on, you know, on your LinkedIn, you are very clear that your opinions are yours and yours alone. Um, and so I just find that just very interesting in terms of how you put yourself out there. You've got several degrees, public health and, and more. Maybe give us a little bit of the career bio sketch. How did you get here? Yeah, uh, it, it's been pretty interesting. And uh, thank you for that question. If you really take a, you know, 100 feet view, and a lot of people have questioned me why robotics and public health. But, you know, again, if you take this 100 feet view of all these degrees and the path I'm on, you'll see that the dots are actually quite well connected, especially from AI and healthcare to solving problems that are foundational, such as homelessness, food insecurity, economic empowerment. And you know, now we are, you know, if you look around us, it's mostly just about tech and healthcare and how do we leverage this, right? So I think without my own knowledge, I think I've just been following this path and connecting those dots. 
But beyond that, you know, coming from a family with doctors and politicians, and I should say good politicians, I think it was natural that I would be in the space for healthcare and service. And when I did my undergrad in robotics, I was very fascinated about the psychological aspects of the human mind and the wonders we could create. So it was during that time that I really started into long distance running. And, uh, you know, the, the real story and maybe a tragic story is that I didn't know how to cook back then. And with many burnt pans in the sink and my roommates not being so, so happy with me, I thought, you know, what could I do to really solve this issue? And then I came across a vegan athlete uh, who was very much into smoothies and salads. And, uh, you know, he's called Rich Roll. He's a triathlete. Um, so I kind of started that, you know, that kind of a diet and really got into that for a couple of years. And when I moved to Los Angeles for my first master's at USC, someone mentioned, you know, hey, you're raw vegan. And I thought, wow, that is a thing. And that is a lifestyle. <laughs> and, uh, is a, I'm doing this thing and it's a thing. That's awesome. Exactly. Sorry, got and, I got, and I got super excited about it. And I really started looking at the science behind it and ended up in culinary school to get certified as a raw vegan chef and nutritionist. And if you haven't figured out, I'm complete type A. So I'm all in or all out most of the time. But, uh, you know, I'm not Julia Child, so, but I still spend many, many hours in the kitchen trying new recipes. I got got my kitchen certified, FDA approved, and I started my own raw vegan product line called Foods Alive. And I really started writing about health and wellness and expressing the importance of, you know, us proactively taking this into our own hands and the power of food. Um, so this, you know, went on for many years and still going on at the side. Um, but most importantly, I wanted to come back into the corporate world and really hone into my talent of, you know, client management, new innovative solutions, and really working at this beautiful Venn, diag Venn diagram I've created and found for myself, which is technology, healthcare, and food equity. And I really think it's been the perfect recipe to work for the higher good. Well, I'm so interested in this perspective. So as you know, Sridi, I've got my own self, you know, two more decades than you in healthcare and tech and that intersection with a lot of innovation um, there. But food has not been part of the equation in terms of where there has been a tremendous amount of focus. And yet it seems so strikingly obvious in terms of something that can be so, so impactful um, for health. So what are you seeing as you blend the those three things, healthcare, technology, and food, what are the interesting things that you're pursuing? Because I just think that there's some, that's a very important piece of the equation. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, what you're really saying is, you know, if you look at healthcare and food, they are so fundamental and they're such basic human needs. Yet in America, we have 40 million people suffering from food insecurity. We have 36 million people living in poverty. And I think we really need to drive laser focus attention in creating an infrastructure, a longitudinal strategy, and really have a big scoop of empathy to fix these issues. And here I'm talking about policies, creating success models and replicating them nationally. So that's the first, you know, to answer your question at a high level. Secondly, I think the things I'm following are vertical farms is a growing trend, educating farmers to predict weather using AI and crop developments. Wait, wait, a vertical farm? What's a vertical farm? So, you know, there are a lot of organizations where they're kind of using technology 
and lots in our spaces to grow healthy foods and healthy crops such as kale and lettuce, but these are grown within a controlled environment so that their growth is sustainable and they're also able to predict when the plants are going to survive, when they're going to get affected, so they can really control the growth. But I think the real intent is to create sustainable, nutritious food, more accessible within communities, right? Because I think the, one of the biggest issues we have in America is the farms that are more subsidized are corn, wheat, and soy, and not healthy fruits and vegetables. So they are found more in abundance. So if you look at our vulnerable communities, they can only afford foods within their budget. And most of these foods are processed foods. They're not really healthy, you know, blueberries and strawberries because we find them for dollar five at a store rather than the Fruit Loops, which is, you know, $2 at a store, less than that, right? So I think the vertical farms are really empowering our communities to take control of farming and what really goes on our tables. So how big is this industry? Is this, would you, is this an emerging area or has this just been around for a long time but getting new attention? What would, you, what would you call it? I think it's getting new attention, especially now that, you know, the Biden administration has just conducted their first conference on nutrition and food insecurity in the last 50 years. I think it's getting more attention. I think a lot of people in Asia and America have been doing this, but right now it's becoming more laser focused because I think it's really showing the value empowerment's bringing into our communities. And I wanted to congratulate you, Smriti, on the, on the um, you know, you've just joined the board of the World Food Bank. And so in terms of the equity focus on this, the 40 million um, Americans that you talked about that have food insecurity, um, how, how do these things relate? What is the equity focus that you're bringing to, you know, perspective that you're bringing um, to this problem? Thank you. Yeah, World Food Bank, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful organization spearheaded by Richard Lackey, who's in the board member of the US Aid. And the real vision is how do we get access to wonderful communities to get access to nutritious food? But beyond that, the piece that's being bought in is educating the farmers on how can they create and develop their own lands and produce you know, fruits and vegetables and serve their own community. So it's kind of like a very circular looped kind of a model where they're one, creating economic empowerment, educating people on what's healthy, but also giving them access to this nutritious food. And, you know, bringing food equity, the real concept is giving people access to food. People who don't, who are starving, who don't have food, how can they get access to food is one piece. The other piece I think I would like to divide food security versus nutrition security. Nutrition security is a piece where how do people get access to nutritious food within a certain cost and they're able to sustain that, right? So I think food equity, nutrition security are key pillars for us to really change how we as a society function and feed our system. And also I think at the tail end, it really impacts healthcare because if we can really feed ourselves and our community as well, the disease state caused by the lack of nutritious food is really high, as you know, Laurie. And I think really fixing these foundational problems is going to save us and project us into a better society just in the longer term. 
Well, I really appreciate that um, sort of like, you know, that more detailed perspective. There's uh, a lot of discussion and it's very high level talking about social determinants of health. There's talk of food deserts in so many urban areas, but that's about, you know, sort of what people know. And it really is the access um, issue that, uh, that you mentioned. I like the division that you put there between access to um, food and then nutritious food and really making that affordable as two separate ways to um, dive into that issue. Okay, really, really interesting. So Smriti, let's just turn a little bit more to you. Um, you know, as a millennial, I have been reading up on this a bit in terms of millennial and Gen Z and side hustles. And um, you have many different things that you do besides your professional work at Tata. Um, some of the stats that I've seen, 62% of Gen Zs, 56% of millennials are um, doing side hustles. So first of all, What's this all about? You have several yourself, and um, is this is this the new norm for younger people? Interesting question. I think I would call them side passions or passions where you know I kind of catch up on when I'm not doing my full time job, right? But I think you're right. I think a lot of millennials are getting, you know, getting uh, into side hustles and taking up second jobs. And I'm not, you know, entirely sure. I would think uh, it really depends on their socioeconomic factors, uh, and I'm 100% supportive of that. Either are they doing a job where they you know, need to pay their bills, on the second, they're finding some time to follow their passion. But the real, you know, ideal situation would be they are passionate about what they're doing, and they're getting paid the right amount, and anything else they're doing are just you know, other passions they have, because I personally don't believe that a one person just needs to have one purpose and one passion. I, I personally am a believer that I have multiple passions and multiple things I like to get involved in. So some of the things I'm doing is mainly I love volunteering. I volunteer at a couple of places in Los Angeles. One is the Project Angel Food, where I serve food and make food for the vulnerable communities. And the other one is called Walks and Wags, where I take dogs out for a walk. The dogs are yet to be adopted and they foster right now. So really enjoy that time. But apart from that, I write quite a bit on nutrition, health, wellness, health tech, health equity. Um, and I also teach a lot of nutrition classes, plant-based classes for individuals and communities in need. Um, and as you know, Laurie, I also kickstarted a podcast recently called the Health Forward Podcast, which I just completely love. And I think uh, you and I share that wonderful experience. Yeah, well, let's talk about that podcast. And by the way, I'm a little bit exhausted just listening to the amount of energy that you have <laughs> for all of these things. I also heard long distance running in there, my gosh. Um, and so <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Health Forward. So you just kicked this off and you know this great new podcast you're focused on several things in terms of these intersecting spaces in and health so what is the podcast about and why did you start it yeah and thank you for being my first guest you know so someone who's inspiring women i really thought you have to be the first guest uh kickstarting the podcast so thank you so much so grateful for you but uh you know i was actually chatting with a friend with the recognition that there are about 7.75 billion people in this world and I was amazed that I've met only you know, a few thousands. And I thought, what is it that I could do to reach at least 20% of this world? And how fun would that be? So that was one idea. But apart from that, I, for a very long time, I wanted to do a podcast. I love meeting new people. I enjoy talking. I love hearing stories and really want to know what moves people and what are they doing to make healthcare better. So that's really why I started this podcast called Health Forward, which is a space for health tech, healthcare executives, physicians, policymakers, and also artists who are working in the food section, whether it's plant-based or the humanitarians to come and talk about 
what are they doing to really help the health and wellness ecosystem keep moving forward? Well, it's a great it's a great area to focus on. And again, it was my um, absolute pleasure, you know, to speak with you and um, help you help you kick it off. I'm really looking forward to keeping track of, um, you know, who you're talking to. I've already seen you speaking to quite a few interesting guests. And so, Smarty, just as you, you know, you're, you're a young woman, you've done so many things already. How do you think about your own professional career? So, like, where do you envision yourself ten years out from now? Do you even think like that about your professional career in blocks of time and something that you're aspiring to? How do you think about it? Now, I'm currently more so focused on expansion, which means a very non-linear path to gaining experiences and learning as much as I can and listening to my calling, I think very truly, to be very honest, um, because I don't believe in, you know, this is where I need to be in the next 10 years, because if I really looked at my last 10 years, I've taken a very non-linear, non-traditional path, whether it's raw veganism or public health or robotics. But I strongly believe that I've followed my intuition and I think about what excites me and where is the most impact. So that's really what I've been following, uh, following and where I think I'll be going. But all I know is in the next 10 years, I'm hoping to be making a significant impact in this world and hopefully in a very humanitarian way. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it, what's so interesting, I find, is that, you know, oftentimes we talk about the world of work and so many of the careers 10 years from now are in jobs that we don't have labels for. They don't exist right now. So the way that you are going about these different pursuits, what interests you, what you become passionate about with a focus on how to make an impact, it strikes me that these things are going to um, just pay a lot of fruit for you in terms terms of um, in terms of what they can mean um, to your professional journey. But as you've done the past 10 years, so you know, a lot of times it, it, on this podcast, I like uh, to hear stories from women in terms of different challenges you've had along the way where you've either wish you had done something differently, something that you learned along the way. Maybe it's a story, Smurdy, that you can share just from your past 10 years that you might like to share with perhaps younger listeners of Inspiring Women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've learned quite a few things, and I would say mostly the hard way. And few things I've learned is, you know, it's okay to say no and prioritize your own to-do list before helping others. And second is we're always negotiating, Lori, as you would know, in, in the business, in personal life. And so I think it's it's best practice to do so early on and start on the right page, then trying to get into a position or a new company and then negotiating your way in. I think that's, I think, um, that's been quite tough, I think, at least in my experience. And I really think it's easy as humans to be disappointed in different working environments, but compassion and humility are the best qualities of a leader. So my advice is to really pick who we pick as leaders and who we want to follow. Um, I think that's very key in terms of growth and expansion and really becoming leaders ourselves. But if I had to uh, bring out one specific example about my non-linear journey and uh, where I'm at is when I finished my undergrad in robotics in uh, Carnegie Mellon, you know, most of my family really wanted me to pursue my master's again in computer science or in coding, but intuitively, I didn't, I didn't believe that's where I wanted to sit. That's where I wanted to, you know, really work, and that's really where my talent was. So I had to really fight back my mentors, my family, and I picked my master's in engineering management, followed by public health, which is not very traditional, but 
I think the message really here is, you know, if, if you feel excited, if you feel like that's the right thing to do, I think the most important advice is to be very true to yourself and the rest just comes by. And how did that work for your parents? I mean, I'm certain that your parents are a big influence in your, um, in your life. And so not taking their advice, was that, um, was that received well by them? Initially, I think they were uh, confused. You know, obviously they want the <laughs> daughter. Uh, but, you know, I think now, I think they're very excited. They're very supportive. I think they understand that I have this way of looking at life and uh, connecting these dots in a very non-traditional format. And now, you know, co complete support. But initially, I think they were concerned. Like, you know, maybe my daughter would never make it or whatever the definition of that is, right? But, uh, <laughs> I, think, but I think people come by. I think the most important thing is any family wants to see you know, the daughter happy, excited, and really making an impact. And uh, they're definitely parents who are 100% of support of that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, listen, this is just a great conversation. And as we close out on Inspiring Women, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, Smurdy. Any last closing advice you might give to listeners of Inspiring Women? Yeah, thank you, Laurie. Um, I think the only advice I have, and as I'm learning in this journey, is believe in yourself. And the only voice you need to hear is your own calling and the rest is just pure noise. I think that is my last advice and I think it's a very strong advice. Well, that it sounds like great advice and you certainly seem to be living it every single day. Smurdy, this has been a great conversation. I've been speaking uh, today with Smurdy Banandan, and this has been a wonderful conversation. Smurdy, thank you so much. Thank you, Laurie, for having me. Such a pleasure. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.